0: Well, good morning. Glad you're here with us this morning. If you have a copy of the Bible, I invite you to turn with me, whether it's a hard copy or a digital copy of on a mobile device. The scripture always is intending to renovate our heart. And specifically, as we think about the word of God this morning and renovating our heart, it's... A renovation of the heart as it relates to our money. As we looked last week as we're working through the Gospel of Mark, Jesus encountering givers. And we're going to go back and read again the passage that we started last week in Mark chapter 12. You can turn there, Mark 12, verse 41. We answered a few of four questions last week regarding this passage. So I want to read it again, and we're going to answer two more questions about the whole New Testament idea of giving. Now, if you're thinking oh man, I can't believe it. I came to church for the first time in a long time and now they're talking about giving, what a bum. Actually, I hope that what you will capture by the time you're done this morning is that what the New Testament teaches about giving is not something to be hesitant about or to go, oh, what a bummer, actually is one of the greatest privileges that we have as ones who are created the image of God to be able to share as God has given us opportunity. So uh, I hope you will listen to the scriptures with some fresh ears this morning as it relates to our resources. It says in Mark 12 verse 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury. This is Jesus. The treasury is where the Jews would have come to give their money. So he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. So we identified last week that Jesus was literally watching who would give and how much they would give and how they would give it. And he sees a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said, based on what he had observed... He said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. Not a greater amount, but according to Jesus, more. What does he mean? Well, he explains, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned, all she had to live on. So, last week, we answered a few of these four questions who is to give how are they to give how much are they to give and why they are to give those four questions not only are answered in that text but the new testament addresses each of these questions as a whole for we who are christ followers now so last week we answered who is to give and why are they to give? And the answer of the question of who is to give is that the New Testament commands every believer to give. It's not a matter of whether you come to church or not. It's a matter of whether you have been reconciled, made one in your relationship with God. That is the defining mark of whether a person gives or not. If you have been by faith, reconciled to God through trusting in Jesus, then the New, New Testament commands everyone to give because you were not only reconciled to God, made one with God, you were made one as a family. Our oneness together is the practical and tangible expression of our oneness is why we give. And I don't want us to lose that Why? It's not because we're trying to gain favor with God. Sometimes we feel like, oh, I need God to do something for me. Maybe I need to give him something. Or we've done something bad and we feel like we need to cover. So we got to pay God to maybe forgive us. Or we want... blessing from God. Or we feel like we don't want something bad to happen, so we give. There's lots of motivations for why people put money in an offering plate at a church. I want you to understand very clearly that the New Testament says that the reason we would give is because we have been made one with God and made one with one another. And therefore, We give to one another because it's an overflow, a tangible, practical expression of our oneness, that we are family, that we've been given grace, and that because we've been given grace and bought by the death of Christ on our behalf, we are not our own. And so our giving flows from that. It's, It's what moves us that we're family. Maybe you heard this week of the family, young couple with six kids, lived down in Keystone early in the morning, pulled out uh, mom and dad in a truck, and another big truck hit them and killed both mom and dad, and they've left six kids behind. Just, I mean, break your heart. When I read of that story and I hear their pastor talk about their relationship with the Lord, and I hear people give testimony of how he He had invested in them spiritually, I don't simply go, oh, well, they're part of another church. That's really not the question. See, there's an overwhelming sense that I want us to have that it's as believers that we are family. It's why this morning, the reminder of our need board out in the foyer here in the South Auditorium is the reminder that we have an opportunity to care for one another in practical and tangible ways. Never let our pride keep us from acknowledging I have a need and don't allow our selfishness to keep us from stepping in and saying, hey, I can help. And I can help because I fundamentally believe that when I was reconciled to God, when I became forgiven and one with him, I became one with a spiritual family. That will make all, I'm serious, this is going to make all the difference in our giving if we can get settled in why we give. It's because we are family and because we've been recipients of God's grace to us. So that's the the who, and the why. See, giving becomes a family privilege when we move from owner to manager. That's the transition that has to happen in, in my heart regarding my stuff. If I'm gonna become a, a giver as the New Testament lifts up, then I need to recognize I've been reconciled to God, one with family. I no longer belong to me, and therefore my stuff no longer belongs to me. And I have the privilege to be able to use what God has blessed me with to help others, to share with family. It's it's easy. Uh, It's fun to give give other people's money away. Do you ever notice that? It's fun to spend other people's money. It's fun to give other people's money away. Quick story. A number of years ago, our family was uh, at the gift of someone at the beach for a week. And Jackie very much enjoys hanging by the pool. And so she was by the pool all week and she got to know this other lady uh, from Georgia by the pool. And so they had great conversations all week. Saturday morning, we're packing up, get ready, knock on the, the condo door down at the beach. And this lady who Jackie had been hanging with at the pool shows up and says, hey, I've just enjoyed being with you guys so much this week. We actually don't have a church that we attend in Georgia, but We love your family, and we love what you do. And so here's the money that we thought we were going to spend on vacation. We didn't spend all of it. We want to give it to you for you to give it to your church. I was like, wow. And I thought, man, that's that's really generous of them. 50 bucks. No. $700 in cash they put into Jackie's hand. I couldn't believe it. So, I mean, we... We tithe 70% and, <laughs> no. It, it, this was, this was a, a very significant experience in our life because more than any other time, I had that genuine sense. I remember the, the Sunday we were sitting right over here to take somebody else's $700 cash and put it in the plate. It was just absolute joy. Because there was no sense of, well, this was mine at one point. It was never mine, and so very easy to give away. And it taught me in that moment, my difficulty with giving is that I tend to think I own it. And because I own it, it's hard to give it away. But if I get in my heart right before the Lord, I'm not my own, I belong to him. (laughs) Easy to give it away, because it was never mine. Think about that in the coming weeks and years as you seek to give. Always remember, it's harder when we think it's ours. And it's joyful when we recognize It wasn't ours. It was his all along. So this morning, how is every believer to give? Going to run through a number of scriptures and then we'll come back and identify the six ideas that the New Testament give regarding how a person is to give. You'll see in your message memo from 2 Corinthians 9, from 1 Timothy 6, and then it says Matthew 6, 24, which is a great verse we're going to look at later, but that's not the correct one. It's Matthew 6, 2 through 4, not 24, all right? So here they are, 2 Corinthians 9, but I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be made empty in this case, so that as I was saying, you may be prepared. Now, you, you have no idea what he's talking about yet, just that... He's concerned that they're not going to be prepared. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to speak of you, will be put to shame by this confidence. So again, if you're not prepared, you're going to be embarrassed, we're going to be embarrassed. Prepared for what? He finally gives us what he's talking about. So I thought it necessary to urge you, to urge the brethren, that they would go on ahead to you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift. So here's what happened they had been informed of a need, and they had said, We'll help. And now Paul is saying, You promised you're going to help and you promised you are going to help in a big way, just a heads up, we're coming. And if we show up, and you don't have prepared what you had promised, it's going to be embarrassing for us all. There's a great principle here about giving requires preparedness, requires readiness. He goes on, so that the same would be ready as a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. We'll come back to that. Now, this I say, he who sows sparingly, sow a little seed, you're going to reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully, sow a lot of seed, you're going to reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. 1 Timothy 6, 18. Instruct them, those who have more than what they need, the rich, according to the New Testament, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. and Matthew 6, Jesus speaking. So when you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father, who sees what is done in secret, reward you. So six big ideas here in the, in the answer to the question, how every believer is to give. First, in readiness, in preparedness. This was the theme in 2 Corinthians 9 and in 1 Timothy 6, that we give with a readiness, a preparedness to give. We give with cheerfulness. And we give to completion. In other words, we don't talk about giving and then not give. We don't think about giving and then not give. We don't intend to give and not give. We follow through. Completion. Not grudgingly. Not going, Ah, oh, Doug guilted me into it. Not under compulsion. I have to. It's like a God tax. I gotta pay God and I gotta pay the government. (laughs) And not for applause. I don't do it so that people think better of me, to be honored by them or to be noticed by them. So, when we give, here are the six ideas readiness, cheerfulness, completion, not grudgingly under compulsion or for (laughs) applause. We could talk a lot about every single one of these. I want to start with the first one, because if you don't start with the first one, it doesn't matter about the rest of them. Nobody can give unless they are ready to give, prepared to give. Proverbs gives this practical wisdom for living in readiness. There is precious treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man does what? Swallows it up. This is a great picture. I love to see images. And so you have really two households visualized here. One has extra stuff in it, and the other doesn't have anything extra in it. It it doesn't mean that this person had more and this person had less. This person has extra and this person doesn't. The reason is what happened in this household? It was 100% consumed. Are you a snacker? When, when people put snacks in front of you, do you eat a few and can you walk away from a bowl of snacks? Or if there's a bowl of snacks in front of you, do you eat all of them? Okay, I eat them all. I have found myself on many, many occasions going, I am so full and if, if, if a bowl of peanuts or a bowl of cashews or, or whatever's in front of me, a plate of nachos, I can long be satisfied and even be full. But if it's in front of me, what do I do? I'll just keep eating until it's gone. And i like, why am I doing this? Because it's in front of me. The only way that that cannot happen is if I will literally take what is there and I'll move it away from me. Right? I have to get it out. If I want to not eat all of my lunch when I got out for a lunch, I'll literally say, here's what I want, and I want a to-go box. I order the to-go box with the meal. Because if I wait until I really am finished, I end up eating it all. So I'll literally take the plate and divide it in half and put it in the to-go box, get it off the table, away from me, and then I can eat. You're all looking at me like, you got problems. Some of you know what I'm about. You just, if it's in front of you, it's like this. You swallow it all up. Now, he's not talking about peanuts or cashews or nachos. He's talking about his resources. And so, the only way we're ever going to be able to live in readiness is if we are willing to say, I'm not going to keep everything God gives me In one bowl. Practical wisdom for living in readiness is I have to prepare and live by a budget. But most people just do a budget that sucks their spending. No, it's a bowl that says, here are the peanuts that I'm going to spend. Here are the peanuts that I'm going to save. And here are the peanuts that I'm going to share. See, if I keep them all in one, many of us, the vast amount of Americans, they just eat everything that's in the bowl. They just spend everything that's in the bowl, plus what's not yet in the bowl, right? It's coming to the bowl, we're pretty sure, so we eat a few peanuts even before they're ours in the bowl. Readiness says, and this is what Paul was afraid of, he said, hey, I'm coming, make sure you haven't swallowed it all up. Lots of people have made budgets. It's the wisdom is you prepare it and then you live by it so that you set aside what you're going to spend, what you're going to save, and what you're going to share. Proverbs 22, 7 says, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. So the scripture says that wisdom avoids debt whenever possible. Application of that that has served Jack and I, we didn't come up with this. I was very grateful somebody shared it with us, so I'm sharing it with you. This has served us well. Avoid financing a depreciating asset. Now, some of you are going, "Uh, I don't know what that means. Very simple. If you bought it this year and it's worth less next year, that's a depreciating asset. So don't finance. Don't be paying for something that is now worth less than it was when you bought it. Don't take peanuts out of another bowl to buy stuff that's going to depreciate. Third, use a credit card to make money. Credit cards can be great if you know how to make money. The key is never carry a balance. I was a little bit surprised when I read this this week from Ford's Investing 2017. The average person carries over $16,000 on their credit cards. So, in other words, that's gone. I've used everything in my <laughs> peanut bowl plus some. And I can never live in readiness if that's the situation. So, if that's your situation, uh, if you're an average person or close to that, I want to encourage you. We regularly offer here Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University encompasses Compasses. Uh, finances God's way, Uh, I encourage you to take one of those classes and learn some biblical principles, some practical wisdom that will get to the biblical New Testament value of readiness, preparedness, to live in such a way that allows you to be able to give as God, I didn't say how much yet, but as God has directed in readiness, in preparation Finally, real quickly, if you take a mortgage, wisdom says put at least 20% down, finance for no more than 15 years, and prepay whenever possible. I realize that's highly unusual. That's the wisdom of Proverbs 22, 7 that says the borrower becomes the slave of the lender. So that's how. How much is every believer to give? And... You may be surprised, maybe you won't be, but the New Testament gives some very clear instruction regarding how much. 1 Timothy 6:18. We read this already. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. See, generous Ready to share. I have to be ready if I'm going to be generous. So when Paul writes this, he doesn't give a number. He doesn't give a percentage. He gives a word that our giving, when it comes to how much, question, is that we are to be generous. Well, how much is that? Well, in answer to that, how much is generous? Paul writes writes to the Corinthians, On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save. Now, remember our three bowls, our spending bowl, our saving bowl, our sharing bowl. He's not talking about the saving bowl here. He's talking about the sharing bowl. But he's recognizing that this collection was not going to happen on a weekly basis. This was going to be a collection for poor believers who lived in another city. And he said, if you're going to help... You can't just wait until the day the collections take place because you're not going to be able to be ready. To be ready to be able to give when that single collection happens, you ought to have a weekly commitment to set aside some in your sharing bowl so that when the collections come, you'll be ready. He says, decide how much to put into that According to this, as he may prosper. Across Christian family chapel, we have varying levels of prosperity. Some prosper financially more than others. And again, the New Testament does not give a dollar amount. It doesn't even give a percentage amount. It gives a principle. Be generous as... God has prospered you. Be generous as God has prospered you. (laughs) Well, how do I decide? (laughs) Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart. It's not a number. It's not a percentage. It's a... As God has prospered you and you purpose in your heart. And then finally, in 2 Corinthians, he says, a bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. You know what that means practically? It means you are looking at how God has prospered you and you think, I'm to be generous. This would be generous. And then you look at that bowl and then you see what somebody else has and you think, I'd really like to have that. Maybe I'll take some out of my sharing bowl and put it back in my... Spending bowl, ever done that? Well you don't have to put your hand up. I'll put my hand up. Determine God has prospered me, purposed in my heart. And then I was like, Ah, it'd still be generous if I gave a little less it's It's what happens well. I'll say for me, it's what happens to me, that you see something somebody else has, or you see what somebody else does, man, I'd like to do that, I'd have that, and we get tempted, our hearts get a little sticky, and we get tempted to pull out of the sharing bowl and put it in our spending bowl. He says, when it comes to how much, Be generous as he prospers you and you purpose in your heart and don't shrink back. Here's what helped me. Very practical. For years, we would always give by check. And so we'd write a check on a weekly basis and give during the offering. But what I found was this. That we would decide at the beginning of the year, as the Lord has prospered us and as Jackie and I purposed in our heart together, that this would be how we would want to share generously. But then throughout the year, we'd miss, we'd be gone, we'd forget a checkbook, and by November, I would always recognize, I need to compare where we are in what we had purposed in our heart and where we are in reality, and I would always find that because of being gone for a certain time, we were behind. And it was in that moment where I could, was most susceptible to be affected by covetousness. Well, you've given a lot already. And I would more often than not be tempted to go, well, let me shrink back. We'll finish out the year, but tempted not to catch up, even though I'd purposed in my heart. Maybe that would that's never happened to you. That was one of our temptations. Practically, two years ago, we decided we're going to purpose in our heart as God has prospered us to be generous, and then we're going to set up an ACH, an automatic transfer from our bank to the church. And... They never go on vacation. They never miss a week. And I never get to November and go, oh, I got some ketchup to do. It keeps, it, it, quite frankly, it keeps me honest to what I've purposed in my heart. And it's good. Because it not only keeps me what I've purposed in my heart, then I already know I've purposed this. And if God brings something else, I know I'm not going to get tempted to start, well, let me reshuffle the deck here. So it's helped keep me honest to what God has purposed in my heart. Now, I've talked for a long time about how much and I've never used what word or what percentage. I've never said the New Testament teaches tithing or giving 10%. That's what tithing means, to give 10%. Even though that's what I grew up with. And even though that's what I was taught. And even though I went through Bible college and Was just adopted tithing, tithing, tithing. We tithed. And then, even when I was the youth pastor here, high schoolers didn't have any money, so I didn't teach on it. But then I got into big church. And I came to a passage where I had to teach about giving. And I was like, all right, I I know the answer. I just got to find the scripture. And I looked and looked and looked. And you know what I found? I found that when the church begins in Acts chapter 2, through the rest of the book of Acts, into every single letter that was written to all the churches, tithing is never, never taught. And I was stuck. I was like, what am I going to teach them? I mean, it'd be easy to stand up and say, you know, Old Testament teaches tithing, just tithe. And everybody, nobody would blink. But I couldn't with integrity, and I can't this morning tell you the New Testament teaches tithing. It doesn't. The Old Testament taught tithing. In fact, we don't teach tithing at the chapel because the Old Testament tithe, the, the giving of 10% was actually only a portion of a total 23% tax on Israelites. Every year, they were required because they were a, not only a religious group, if you will, but they were a nation they had a tax that was required to support them, like we have taxes to support our government. And their giving was 23% a year. 10% for the little vehicle priests, 10% for their national holidays in the temple, and then 10% every three years for their caring for their poor, what you and I might think of as welfare. So they had a 23% annual tax. So the the Old Testament really doesn't teach tithing as most Christians have been taught tithing growing up. What's the New Testament teach? Well, the New Testament instructs believers to pay taxes that are required by their governing authorities, but it never does not set a required amount to be given to the church. Every believer is to give, but it never defines how much in terms of an amount or percentage. Now, if I am you, 20 years ago, sitting there right now hearing this, I am like crazy going inside. Like, what? This is, this is just different. I've always tithed. I've always thought it. I've always understood. I, I understand that. It's just the New Testament doesn't say it. So is it wrong to tithe? No. It's not wrong to tithe. Unless, unless it's rooted in the practice that the other 90% is mine to do with whatever I want. Now maybe this is just the cynical side of it. But often, often tithing comes down to this. All right, what are we going to make this year? All right, I got to take 10% of that. That's the Lord's. The rest is mine. I get to do mine to, for, for however I want to use it. But at the beginning, we already said, hey, we give. Every believer gives because of our oneness with God. And because of our oneness with God, we don't belong to ourselves any longer so it all belongs to him see some will go oh we don't we don't, we don't tithe sweet I get 10% of my money back uh, actually the 90% that you thought was yours is actually his here's what I find and maybe this is people go yeah I, I know I, I just still tithe That's not what the New Testament says. The New Testament says to purpose in your art as he has prospered you to be generous and not affected by covetousness. Yeah, but I just tithe. Why? It's just easier. I recognize. See, I I really, I recognize. I'm I'm a real person with real stuff and I engage in this struggle myself. It's a lot easier to go, okay, God, here's your peanuts. And I'm accountable for giving you your peanuts and now these are my peanuts and I don't have to answer to the Lord for how I spend and how I save and what I do with the rest of it. It's a lot harder to say, Lord, these are all your peanuts and I'm accountable for not only what I share, but I'm accountable for what I save and I'm accountable for what I spend. That's a lot harder. I recognize that. And so... Ultimately, I've called this message the art of giving because, in the New Testament, it's not a science; it's not a math equation. It's a heart issue. It's believers before the Lord saying, "I know you want me to generous, to be generous, to purpose in my heart as you prospered me, not affected by covetousness, Lord." How do you want me to manage your resources? It's a heart issue that ultimately I recognize has to come down to a number that you decide upon. But that's before the Lord and your heart. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. See, this is is the real battle of the heart. Most of us, if I can visualize it this way, most of us, even as believers, this represents my heart. This triangle, triune God represents God. Most of us, this being a believer, I'm not saying that God is not in their heart. I'm saying that for most of us, we have this sense of money is at the center of our heart, and God and our money don't mix. The result of that is that in this journey towards having a heart that really is owned by him, we usually start as non-givers, where there's God and then there's my money. And Jesus said... Either God's going to rule your heart or your money is going to rule your heart. In this scenario, we don't give. Until sometimes this happens. God like pricks our heart about a specific situation or or a need that really kind of pricks our heart, breaks our heart. And we... We are this moved giver. We, we hear something. We hear something. Man, mom and dad gone, six kids alone. I, I want to give to that. And, and so it's, it's spontaneous. It's sporadic. It's in moments where something touches us. The moved giver, the, the touched giver. To then the the person that says, well, God has a percentage of my heart. This is what so many of us have, if we grew up in church, we have this idea of the tither. God has 10%, but the other 90% is mine. What happens when we realize is, oh, the New Testament doesn't teach tithing. ah So often what will happen is we'll go, well, I'll do more than tithe. It'll be the 10% plus, I'll give 15%, or I'll I'll give 20%, I'll be the super tither. (laughs) But I've been very honest with you personally through this whole message. Here's where... Here's where I realized about my own self that I could go, oh, it doesn't teach tithing uh, more than 10%, but all it was was God was giving, getting a bigger portion, but it was still, the rest was mine. And so the the art, in other words, the heart issue that the New Testament is leading us to is, is where God has moved to the center, to the ruling section of my heart. And I recognize not a portion of it is His, it's all His. And I'm, a, I'm accountable for, for my spending bowl, my saving bowl, and my sharing bowl. This is, this is the steward-manager. This is where Jesus would want all of our hearts to get to. Now, it's a, it's a process. I put those in an order because I want you to look, look at those five steps and identify where you are. Are you a non-giver? I hope the word of God is renovating your heart. Are you the person that, well, I don't have any plan for giving, but when I moved, I give. Have you established a long practice maybe of, I give 10%? Or maybe you've gone, no, God has prospered me beyond that. But in your heart, you're going, I give him more because he's prospered, but I still see it as mine. I'm a steward manager. It really is his. I think, I think giving messages are always kind of difficult to sit through because it feels so personal. Because it addresses the heart. And so I want to invite you just say, Lord, grow my heart to be like yours in this, to take steps towards being a steward manager. Now, uh, let me run through something here. Uh, there we go. Some of you may have read this in chapel chat. I have an idea that Bill made fun of in the video that he did. And that is his idea of, hey, meet the middle school pastor. When he said he was going to do that, I thought, you know what Monday morning quarterback is? Where after the game, Monday morning, everybody's talking about the games that happen, all the interceptions, how Vols couldn't hold onto to a football, all that stuff. It <laughs> was a Gator shout out for y'all. I missed it. <laughs> They talk about the games over the weekend. Uh, I'm going to, I want to try something to see if it will serve you. And that is Monday morning over at the table, 730 to 830. We're not going to talk games. We're simply going to be there. And if you have any question, and, and this of all messages may surface some questions or some things you need to talk through, I'll be available. Anybody wants to, I'm not going to do a second sermon. Okay? I'm not bringing the questions. Okay? Don't, don't be confused. If you show up, I'm going to have a cup of coffee. And I'm going to wait for somebody to ask me a question. Now, don't miss this about the message. This is not stump the pastor time. <laughs> oh, I've always wondered, and then you ask me some random question. All random questions will be ignored. The the opportunity is genuinely, if you have something that you would go, man, I'd like to ask Doug about that regarding the the message. I'll be over at the table for an hour, 7.30 to 8.30. I don't know if anybody will come. I don't know how it will work. We're going to give it a a try. I'm going to have a cup of coffee. I'll talk to you if you show up. All right? So I realize this is pretty different. What I just shared with you is pretty different. It's, you're thinking through stuff that's very personal to you. That's good. Don't run from that. Don't get nervous about it. Believe that Jesus loves you. And he doesn't need your money to do what he wants to do. But he wants your heart. And the scripture says, what? What? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So our giving matters. It ends up being a heart issue. So Lord, as we go from here, I pray that we would go with a soft, pliable, uh, attentive heart that we might live not just according to what's easier known, but that we would learn to walk with you, trusting you, believing you, and following your word. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here, God bless.